This is Calgary Today with Angela Cocott on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Good Tuesday afternoon. Hope you are enjoying your day. I think it was about this time last week that we were talking about participation and the fact that I think Canadian kids were getting a D minus or some terrible mark like that. And I chose to use that half hour to talk about what are you doing in your life to maybe change things. And I always found that even when people share their stories, it might motivate you to, oh yeah, maybe I should get a little more active. Maybe I don't need that extra piece of pizza, whatever it is. And so the fact that I get to talk to Martin Parnell this half hour, it's definitely going to motivate you. Martin Parnell has also been known as the Marathon Man. And after you hear his story, you'll know why. Martin, congratulations on this latest marathon. We'll talk about that in a second. But more importantly, uh, welcome to our new studio. Great. Thank you, Angela. Great to be here. And the reason I say that is we've talked in the past because, when was it, a few years ago that you decided to, it almost seemed like, run a marathon a day. Take me back to the beginning of your story and why you thought it was so important to not just run one marathon, but countless marathons. Yeah, the uh, the Marathon Quest 250 uh, took place in 2010 where, um, yeah, I didn't run a marathon a day. I ran five marathons a week, so I kind of slacked off for the weekends. <laughs> uh, but yeah, for 250 total. And, and where that all came from was um, five years previously in 2005, I had cycled from Cairo to Cape Town with a group of people. I ended up doing sports with children all along the way, um, soccer and table tennis and running. And, and I just saw the power of playing sport with kids uh, it's just universal. Age doesn't matter, gender, religion, culture. We're all equal when it comes to sports. And I, I was trying to figure out a way of using that. And that's when I learned about Right to Play, the, the, uh, the children's charity that uses play in sport to teach leadership, team building, and conflict resolution. Well, even when you did the cycle trip, was this just Martin Parnell deciding to do a long cycle trip? or No, no. Again, there's a story, obviously, behind that. Um, in 2001, my wife passed away from cancer and the, my children were adult children. They left home pretty soon afterwards. And I was reflecting on really my life and, you know, where, what I wanted to do and where I was going. I'm a mining engineer is my background. I've worked 25 years in Canada, all over Canada, but I needed something else. Something was missing. And I basically gave myself permission for two years to do stuff. Um, I took my, my 85-year-old auntie to Australia to see a daughter. Um, I took up triathlon. I took up running. And I did this bike trip. I just wanted to see Africa. And I thought, you know, this bike trip looked good. I mean, the only issue was it was 100 kilometers a day for six days a week. But the good news was if you didn't make the campground that night, a truck would come and pick you up. So I kind of <laughs> knew, you know, I'd get there in the end. But that was the big step, I think, just, just getting just getting out and just spending those four months going across the continent of Africa. Were you an active person before you decided to try all these different things? I, I, as, a, as a child, um, I, I, as, a, as a baby, I was known as huggable. I think the politically correct term is fat. <laughs> and so, you know, at school, it was a challenge, um, you know, always being picked last for the team, different teams. So I wasn't particularly active, but it was only in, in uh, 2002 when my brother Peter challenged me to a marathon uh, at the age of 47 that I started running. So it's been 13 years since I started running. Well, see, and those are the kind of stories I want to share with listeners because they could say, oh, yeah, sure, you're doing triathlons. You probably all re always were an active person. So it's encouraging to hear that. So you do the cycle trip and you see how you can go to different villages and play with children and there's that common bond. And then 
part of that was finding out about Right to Play? Yeah, it, um, th- as I say, the bike trip was in 2005, and for a couple more years I was definitely just trying to do marathons and triathlon ultras. But then in 2009, a friend of mine who had come to Calgary said he wanted to talk to me one evening about this organization called Right to Play. I, I hadn't heard anything about them other than uh, Clara Hughes had donated $10,000 and I and he told me about the organization. I thought, oh my gosh, like I have to try and do something through what I'm doing to give back. And that's where the idea of, <laughs> of 250 marathons, marathons came yes, about. Yeah. All right, tell me a little bit more about Right to Play. And I'm glad you mentioned Clara Hughes because she probably was the first person I heard talk about Right to Play. Yeah, back in uh, 2009 when I first heard about them, they were uh, in 20 countries around the world working with uh, half a million um, disadvantaged children. And they work with with, with uh, in-country trainers and teachers. And they have developed thousands of um, lessons, you could call them, based on play and, and sport that teach key life skills. So these children, while they're playing, they're also learning about team building and leadership and conflict resolution without really knowing about it. They call it the uh, broccoli and the ice cream. So the kids are kind of enjoying what they're doing, but there's some goodness in there as well. And what's happened since then, it's kind of amazing, is uh, Right to Play were invited into two First Nation communities in Ontario back in 2010 uh, by the elders because of the success overseas of um, Right to Play working with the kids. They're now in 88 communities across Canada, First Nation communities, working with the youth in those communities, which is which is phenomenal. And they're in schools across Canada as well. So I really love the local, national, international flavor of the of the organization. And I'm glad you point that out because oftentimes we hear of organizations that want to help build schools and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But then you'll have Canadians saying, we have some communities in our country that don't have drinking water, that don't have the best education system. So what a great um, thing that is, that Right to Play is there. Well, absolutely. And I think, you know, if we're honest with ourselves in Canada, um, there are many challenges uh, both in First Nation communities and locally with children. I mean, I talk to tons of schools. I go in and talk to kids from kindergarten to grade 12. And, you know, you have many issues with the self-esteem, with body image, and quite frankly, particularly with girls. And to keep... To, you know, girls are active up to my granddaughter's 12. Very active, you know, young girl. And uh, but I'm concerned she's getting into the 12 to 18 period, you know, you know, time frame now. And I want her to stay active. So I think it's very important for me as a granddad to be an example and to try and, you know, say to her, look, let's look outside of what's going on. Don't get um, bombarded and you will get bombarded with all these advertising and, and you know, quite frankly, the media kind of all mm-hmm. the stories. You've, you've got to see what's outside of that. So it's a bit of a, a personal yeah, wow, role what I a, have as well. Uh, talk about a challenge and the road you're on. And speaking of roads, so when you did in 2010 the 250 marathons, it was constant training or were you training even before that? I mean, you're basically training every time you run a marathon. But well, basically, I had done... Uh, Prior to that, I had done a number of um, uh, marathons, Ironman triathlons, and I would built up to doing the ultra running which is any race over 42.2. So I had done 100K up to 100K races, 160K, 100-mile races. And so I'd been training for probably about six years, building up my endurance. But as you say, stepping into something like five a week is a whole nother kind of ball game. So I really didn't have a clue if I could do it or not. It was a case of, look, I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to try and raise, we had wanted to run 250 marathons to raise $250,000 for Right to Play. I mean, I just put it out there and I and I got support and I had a medical team, which every Friday I went in to see and they kind of jabbed me and used, you know, 
um, electroanalysis on me and, right. and all sorts and just pushed me out the door again. So it was just a case of just hoping things would hold together. Were you successful in raising your goal? We raised $320,000. Wow. Yeah, which was over helping over 6,000 children. So it was, and the support though from Cochrane and the Calgary community, I don't think I could have got that anywhere else in Canada. I really don't. I, it was unbelievable. Well, it wasn't as if you were going uh, to different places to run marathons. You were doing marathons all just anywhere you could run <laughs> well, that, just, get that the kilometers in. I just ran locally, yeah. uh, you know, on the pathways yeah. in Cochrane and Calgary. But I did run 60 marathons at schools. Every week on a Thursday, I'd go to a school, I'd talk to the kids, and then I'd run 100 times around their soccer field. And the kids would join me, you know, for the morning and the lunchtime at the end of the day. But what blew me away was at the end of the day, they would give me their loony and toony pocket money to help the other kids. Mm. And I, you know, that kept me going every single week. You, you said your medical team looked at you and did some analysis and then pushed you out the door. Were there sometimes they said, you're not going out this door, you, you've got too many stress fractures? I don't know what injuries you were dealing with. but Well, well yeah, I, I, after, after 30 marathons, which was in the middle of February of 210, I, I um, came down with a, a, a very bad repetitive strain injury on my left leg and I had to stop for two weeks. And then, of course, everything's being questioned. Was it a stress factor? What was it? And um, we basically used, you know, frozen peas and, and, and a hot tub to try and get it down. And slowly it, it improved and I got going. But all the way through, there are issues, back issues. And, and that's why having that team, I mean, they, they you know, they, I think they perform miracles in sort of fixing me up and pushing me out. But... Uh, Oh, Martin. Okay, I'm just tired <laughs> talking to you. Uh, you were actually Facebooking this live as well if you want to check in. But coming up after the break, sure, the 250 marathons. But I want to find out after the break about a secret marathon and also some of the uh, the challenges that Martin faced, some health challenges he faced in this goal. I'm Angela Kokite, talking with Martin Parnell, the marathon man. And we are back after this. You have no excuse to not sort of change your life or change what you're doing. Martin Parnell is my guest, and it was after the, the death of his wife in 2001 that he said, I want to start doing some things. I loved your line that you said you were described as a huggable baby. Is huggable, that what you Huggable yeah. baby. Huggable. <laughs> so a little Very. chubby, but then <laughs> suddenly was doing triathlons, cycling great distances, and now has really become a voice for right to play. I did mention that we are on live with Facebook, and I just want to show the two books you've written. The first one was Marathon Quest. Now, that would have been the, the 250 marathons? That's correct, Angela, yeah. And now your most recent book is Running to the Edge. And is this the story of your health challenges? Yeah, it is. It includes the, uh, the nine quests that I did since the marathon quest, but also the 20-month uh, challenge I've had with a, with a blood clot on the brain. Give me just a snapshot, because this is after you'd gone to West Africa, because Right to Play wanted you to go there and see the great work you had done. And what happened after that? Yeah, in 2011, um, after the, all the marathons, I write to play, asked if I'd like to meet the kids that we had fundraised for in Benin in West Africa, uh, one of the poorest countries in, on that continent. And I said, absolutely. So, I, so we headed over and spent a week there. And, and quite honestly, it made me realize I wanted to do more. So it's a long flight back from uh, Benin to Calgary. And I got thinking and I arrived home and I said to Sue, Sue, I have an idea. And that usually means trouble. Mm. Um, so I said, I want to do uh, 10 quests in five years to try and raise a million dollars and help 20,000 kids. So from 2010 to the end of 2014, um, I did, I, I call them quests, they're fundraisers, uh, five Guinness World Records for different sports, the longest game of soccer and lacrosse and 
netball and also a climbing Kilimanjaro in 21 hours. So all different kind of right. kind quests, of funky stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, but that finished at the end of 2014, and we raised 1.3 million dollars for Right to Play. So it, it went really, really well. Right. Great support locally. So then it was time to to take a break, but also to start my speaking career. I'm a professional speaker. And so in February of 2015, end of February, I was heading to Winnipeg to talk at a, um, a Parks and Rec conference. I had a, a migraine, didn't feel very well, arrived at the hotel, and I was totally debilitated. I, I was sick. And the organizer, uh, Suzanne, said, Martin, I've got to take you to the hospital. So I went to the hospital, and they did a CT scan, and they found a massive clot right across the top of the head. And they put me into an induced coma. Uh, for 24 hours. They phoned Sue. Sue came out. And for two weeks, I was basically um, told, you know, I I could hardly walk. It was, for me, being so active, and suddenly I have to rely on people just to get from the bed to the washroom, you know, 15 feet away. Um, It was a total change for me. And I was very fortunate. Three more days, it would have been it that uh, the doctor said that was it. So. And that's why running to the edge. Running to the, the edge, edge, yeah, is really the edge, the edge was of... the real edge, the big edge, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. So, um, All right, so you've been recovering then since you said the kind of the beginning of 2015 yeah, from this. Yeah. Uh, but wait a second, uh, the other thing I want to find out about is the secret marathon. So when did you, when were you able to return to running? Well, so from February to, gosh, May, I basically, I had double vision, I couldn't, do anything. I was mm-hmm. sitting on the couch looking out the window uh, in Cochrane. And, but then the doctor said, okay, you, you, I was on medication. You can start to walk. So I started walking with Sue. And, and then um, in September, he said, okay, you can start some light running. So I started running two or three K, which was, you know, just kind of getting back into it. And at the end of October, uh, Sue sent me an article from the Guardian newspaper, which talked about the first ever marathon of Afghanistan. And the story was about a young woman called Zanab, who became the very first Afghan woman to run a marathon. And what really kind of got me was, you know, I've trained for a lot of marathons and really it's all about um, hydration, nutrition and so on. But for Zanab, it was about uh, her getting over harassment, both verbal, people were yelling at her, you're a prostitute, throwing stones at her, trying to stop her training for this marathon. And she ended up training within her garden, her walled garden, 15 by 15 running circles. I thought, my gosh, here's a young woman who, you know, is so determined to run a marathon. And here we are in the West. Men and women can sign up for a marathon every yeah. weekend. So, so it, right there, I said to Sue, Sue, if I get better and if I can run again, if I can do a marathon, I'm going to go to Afghanistan and support the girls and women over there who just want to run for freedom. And so your first, that was this year then in November, wasn't it? Just, it I mean, was, wait, it was, a few weeks it ago. It was two weeks ago. Um, I, I, I started running. I ran the Calgary Marathon the end of May this year. I felt good. And so I signed up and uh, flew over there just, gosh, just, you know, three weeks ago. And on November the 4th, lined up for the Marathon of Afghanistan in a, in a town called Bamiyan. How many people? So there was, uh, in the marathon, there were 60 people. 10 of them were the overseas runners. And the reason I call it the secret marathon is we were told to say nothing before the event, obviously for, you know, for security reasons. Right. And so, but we had sort of had a Facebook group that we stayed in touch. So of the 60, there were 10 international runners, five women, but the other runners were Afghan men other than five Afghan women. And so there so, was five women, I was women, wondering. Afghan yeah, women. so, so, and I ran with one of them, Kruber, and it was her first marathon and we ran together. And um, she was, she was struggling a bit and the cut off seven hours and we came in at six hours, 52 minutes. Wow. So it was, a, I had found my purpose when I went over there.
What was it, though, for Cooper to be able to do that then? What did it mean for her? Because there were still just four other women, Afghan women, doing this. She was totally overcome. Cooper, a very strong young woman, 25 years old, lives in Kabul. And uh, she had actually attempted to do an ultra marathon a few months before a five-day event, but had to stop after one day. And she was through a physical issue, and she was shattered. And uh, she was... She was desperate to to do the marathon. The problem was she really hadn't trained enough. That was the reality. But I kind of, I could tell she was very strong mentally. And I figured if we worked together, we could both finish it. And so that's what we did. (laughs) What's next for Martin Parnell then? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Um, Every year end on December the 31st in Cochrane, I have a fundraiser. And the charity that supported Kubra and the other women is called Free to Run. And they support girls and women um, running in conflict countries. So we're going to have our seventh annual run walk in Cochrane. And we're going to raise money to uh, rebuild a volleyball court at one of the girls' schools in Afghanistan. What a great story, Martin. And you know what? Martin's leaving behind uh, his two books here. So you can text 403-974-8255. I'll take the 20th and 30th texter. So just start texting in Martin Parnell's books. The, his older one is The Marathon Quest, but the more recent one is Running to the Edge. Martin, thanks for coming in and sharing your story with us. Angela, absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're not running back to Cochrane, are you? No, I've got the car outside. Good summer. stuff. We've got news coming up next. <laughs> Calgary Today with Angela Cocott, weekdays at 3 on News Talk 770 Calgary.